0: Welcome to The Teaching Ministry at Carlos Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, C4. And good morning to you who are watching online or, uh, or listening online today. That's just a taste of not what we are becoming, but what we are now. The world has changed, the world is changing, Even as I'm speaking at this very moment, we're living in times that are so turbulent and so exciting that they equal any major change that has happened in the last 10,000 years of history. Going along with that video, I read an amazing article this week called Seven Changes in Our World and What We Must Do About Them. Let me tell you what the seven changes are that many of us are now experiencing. Number one, the internet has now become the new TV. I experienced this this week. My wife was watching television, and I was on my iPad in another room watching also. Slowly but surely, TVs will cease to exist, and internet and, and expressions of that will remove it. Number two Starbucks has replaced the front porch in our culture, or for many of you, Tim Hortons. The debate continues. The point is front porches don't exist anymore, Starbucks does. Number three, Facebook is the new neighborhood for a global community. There are now 600 million users on Facebook. Do you know that if you would equate that to a country, it would be the third largest country on Earth besides China and India? And I am part, by the way, of that nation. Fourth, portable devices like this iPhone are replacing traditional laptops and computers. Fifthly, texting is replacing phone calls. Six, Twitter is the new word of mouth, as we've seen both politically, as we've seen terribly in the last few weeks, but not only that, as we've seen in the Arab revolutions. But lastly, and most interestingly, it's this, Google has replaced mentorship. One person said to a friend of mine just last week, I don't need people, I just need access. Hear, here. <laughs> it's interesting. Now, not all of this is bad and not all of this is good, and as you've seen as a community, we have started working very hard to bring our community and also the gospel into these new frontiers. As a church, we are not going to reduce ourselves back. We are going to go there from Facebook to Twitter to new website that's about to come, to our live streaming of 905 to the common and our new prayer wall. We are just beginning to introduce this community to social networking and its implications to the gospel. And as we're reporting in our new momentum book which you as members already received and all of us will get today after our service, we are starting to have significant influence in the virtual world. Our sermons here alone are downloaded 10,000 times a month. Thousands are checking us out as a church virtually all the time. As I said to another friend this week, this is what radio was for churches in the 40s and what television was for the 60s for the church. But this is much more powerful, much more full scope, more more interactivity, and even producing more community. Yet there are some dangers we need to face, and be honest, right up front. There's a huge reality that all of us, no matter your age or stage this morning, we need to face for the new world that we are, already are, and we are becoming. We have more information and access to information than we ever have in human history combined. And so we now have a new crisis facing us, not only as humanity, but as the church. We have information, but no time to digest it or put it into practice. Information, but we don't have wisdom anymore. You may have more facts, but the world is not stopping, is not experiencing or practicing what it means to live or learn a skillful life. As the right Reverend David Adams said when I was gone last week, information without transformation is useless. We have a right living crisis in our hands and on our hands, and it's not just out there anymore, it's actually in God's own family. That's why we need to understand that though we have technology and though we have access, we cannot become arrogant and think that we have evolved somehow to a better place than the ancients because they walked with God and many of us know about Him but don't know Him. This is really a new version of gluttony. You ever been to a restaurant before and you've eaten too much? Raise your hand if you're honest. Yeah, I did it this week. This is my confession to you as my community. I was out with my brother-in-law and my future sister-in-law my wife. We just got back from California. We went for Mexican, and I just ate too much. And I was sitting in the chair. You've done this, right? And I wanted to lay down on the ground. (laughs) I didn't care who was seeing me. I just wanted to lay down. It's not throw up sick, it's sick sick. My body was saying to me, John, love the Mexican, cannot process the amount you've put in. See, that's what my body was saying, and I am confessing it. I confessed it to God. It was a sin. That is gluttony. But it's the same for our spiritual lives, whether we're sitting here or watching or listening. More information does not equal being closer to God or loving Him more. We need to go back to Scripture and slowly learn, slowly listen, slowly apply, and then something amazing happens. It's called a godly life and if there is one book that leads us to a godly life and what we need to ruminate on in this new technologically driven world it's the old old beautiful book called proverbs so if you have a bible physically or virtually either turn or navigate there to chapter one we're going to start our summer series based on the book of proverbs today Today we wanted to give you a foretaste of what's going to happen as we journey together throughout the summer months. We, we want to give this to you early so you'll be eager to connect back with us here online each week. Now the book has over 30 chapters, 31, and no, we're not going to go through the whole book in a few months. We're going to walk through the first nine chapters this summer. So, so let's get some background before we get involved. Proverbs is a wisdom book. It's one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes is one. That talks about life's meaninglessness. The Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. That's a great unique gift for married couples. If you believe the Bible is boring, read that. You will change your opinion. Job deals with the unfairness of life. But Proverbs deals with our practical attitudes. Really, it is a picture of what life looks like with God or what life looks like without God. One summarized the whole book this way. This book does not develop an argument, not a narrative, not even a history. It's just a collection. Actually, it's a series of collections. Just like the Psalms is like a hymn book made up of many people, so the same with the Proverbs. Most Proverbs are intensely practical, but then the Bible is a deeply practical book. God cares about the way we behave, the way we live our life, our actions here on earth. In the eyes of all the writers of Proverbs to act justly, to keep our mouth from lying, to work hard, to avoid sinful relationships, this is what it means to fear the Lord. This book is about skillful living in relationship both with God and people. God here in Proverbs meets us in our intellectual, spiritual, and moral lives, or as another person wrote, it is a practical know-how to live in the hard realities with God, with others, and in the world that God has created. But there's some rules we all need to understand right up front so we do not misuse them. Because so many Christians have misused or got angry or or sat at God uh, or their family or the church because they thought that the Proverbs were something they weren't. And then they had this terrible crisis of faith because they had unmet expectations. But what they thought the Proverbs were, they weren't. In one of the books I asked the whole community to read this summer, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, Fee and Stewart give these sort of ideas. Number one, proverbs are intensely practical. They're not theoretically theological. Proverbs are worded to be memorable. They're not technically precise. But here's the biggest one. Proverbs, everyone ready, are not guarantees from God. Proverbs, everyone say this, proverbs are not promises. How many times as a youth pastor did I have someone say, but John... I did everything the proverbs said and my team still turned out as a punk what did i do what did he do what did god do see you thought the proverbs were promises guarantees they're not they are poetic guidelines for good behavior they don't guarantee that you're going to follow it through proverbs give good advice for a wise approach to certain aspects of life but it doesn't deal with all of it and lastly wrongly used Proverbs actually might justify a crass and materialistic lifestyle, but rightly used, Proverbs will provide practical advice for all of us in our daily living. Today, we're going to spend most of our time in the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. Now, these verses form a distinct introduction to the whole book. This isn't just a warm-up or a series of pleasantries or platitudes. They go to the heart of the book. Much of the time when God decides to write something, he tells us a lot very quickly. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, this is how our story begins today. Hear the word of the Lord. Proverbs 1-1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. Wisdom, acquired learning that helps each one of us know what to do in a given situation. It is knowledge played out in everyday situations. It's the business of godly right living. Yet notice, wisdom does not stand alone. It's married with something else discipline, correction, chastisement, reproof, rebuke, correction. It changes the course of something. Really, one person said, it means submitting to instruction in order to reach the goal of wisdom. None of us are born wise, and none of us, by the way, none of us are perfect. So we all need discipline. Wisdom and discipline are married to understanding, the ability to discern between two options, know which one is God's option, and even know why he likes that option. But there's more to the Proverbs than that, because verse 3 says this, the Proverbs are given for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Prudent is an old word, isn't it? Such a look down upon word, prudent or prude invokes that feeling of old, not cool, irrelevant, backwards, not progressive, not with it, but but what a lie, what a brilliant untruth crafted in the very pit of hell. We're all crying out for prudence. Knowingly or not, it's what we as people, as families, as neighborhoods, as cities, as a global human family want. A prudent life is to know God and his will and his ways. This is all about doing God's will, and when you do it, it will lead us to good paths, not bad paths. Don't commit adultery. It messes everything up. Don't murder. You go to jail. Have Sabbath. You need something called sleep. Think about it. How much sin could we avoid? How much pain could we avoid? How, How much more would God be glorified in our world, in our creation, in our church? How would we love ourselves more, or love others more, or ultimately God, if we were not just hearers of his word, but doers of his word? There's life with God, and these are His ways. Call it old-fashioned or prudish or prudent, but trust me, it's where living really happens. And notice, if you will, if this summer or this year or in your life you would dare listen and follow the Proverbs, you would not only grow in wisdom, discipline, understanding, and prudence, but your life would be marked by three three things. Being right, being just, and being fair. Notice all three things mark God himself, they are characteristics of God, and they set out the boundaries for godly living. Actually, this is how we love God, and we love our neighbor also. But the real question is, we always start as this, well, who is this for? I mean, what audience is Proverbs for? Again, many of us would react by saying, well... I'm sure I need some of this, but not me fully, or not me at all. I mean, I've done this Christian thing for a long while now, or long enough. I think I have some wisdom. Maybe those who are younger, those less educated, those less, and you fill in the blank, that you think. But the author reminds us we all need to hear and do again and again and again. Verse 4. Proverbs are given for giving prudence to the simple, and knowledge and discretion to the young. The simple... The unlearned, the untutored, the gullible, the naive. We all start here, by the way, not just biologically, spiritually, especially uh, when it comes to God and his will. We're all touched by sin, right? We're all born into sin. We're all dead spiritually. We're all touched by death. And before we met Jesus, we were all owned by the kingdom of darkness, We all need God to reveal himself and his will again and again and again. We all start in darkness and then over time, post-relationship, the light of truth burns brighter and brighter and the results are nothing but amazing. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 19.8, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The simple is paired with the young. Many believe Proverbs were given, so parents could teach children and teens and our version of young adults how to live. And let me just stop right now and say this is really needed. If you're a teen here this morning or a young adult, this is desperate. I'm not saying this about you, but I am saying generationally, there is very little wisdom among you. And it's not just because you're young. Generationally, you've shown the world that pleasure is more important than anything else. Waiting now is a four. A four or five letter word you want everything now it is a generation of entitlement but what you do not know yet is that if you live your life like that long term it will only bring sorrow to you and the proverbs are clear about this take time this summer to listen and obey because someone used to sing to me for there's no other way (laughs) others think the proverbs were compiled just for young men in that culture, who are about to become the leaders of the next generation. And it's right. See, real leadership is lived out of our relationship with God, our growing character, a place of ever-growing wisdom. We serve and live out of that bank, that pool, this reserve. All leaders must immerse themselves here. And you know that you stop being a leader, even if you have the title, when you stop immersing yourself and submitting yourself to wisdom. Yet it's not just about the simple or the young. It's for all of us on the journey. The author of Proverbs says right here, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverb, parable, the sayings and riddles of the wise. But no matter who we are this morning here or virtually, uh, whether we are simple or young or wise or on the journey, we now all come to the heart of the book. The mission statement is now given right here. This one statement replaces every self-help book you can buy online at Amazons or at Chapters or in Barnes and Noble if you're, you're, you're in the U.S. This is more powerful than any statement ever uttered by Tony Robbins or Oprah or Dr. Phil or fill in the blank. This call. This phrase, this command, this gift is repeated in some variation 20 times in the book of Proverbs. This is the most important saying of all the wise. Verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord. I mean, what does that mean? Well, simply put, it means worship and faithfulness long-term to God. And notice, it's radically relational and radically and fully theocentric. That is, it's all about God and our relationship with Him. Real knowledge, hear this this morning, real knowledge equals real life change, not just knowing more things. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Fear is about respect. Fear is about awe. Fear is about relationship. Fear is about love. And fear, by the way, also is even about utter terror. When you fear God in all of those ways, in a balanced way, knowing that he is close and far, imminent and transcendent, judge, king, brother and friend, then and only then will we begin to love and want to grow in wisdom because we will know who he truly is and we will really realize who we are not, iPhone or otherwise. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To God belongs eternal praise, not us. The book of Job, 28, 28. He said to the man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Shun all evil. That's understanding. Now notice that the author here uses the name for God, Lord. I didn't catch this when I first read it this week. The name for God here is Yahweh. It is God's marriage name, his covenantal name, only used when he enters into relationship with people. Again, I need to point this out. Knowledge from a biblical perspective, is not intellectual only. It is deeply personal and deeply experiential. It's it's why we get our verb to have sex from this idea. To know about someone or to know someone in the biblical sense is the difference about thinking about someone or actually experiencing it. Implied again and again is this, if you want to be wise, you actually have to really know the living God and grow with him. If you don't know him, you will never begin biblical knowledge. This brings wisdom, one wrote, to its fullest expression. Not merely rightly reverencing God, but actually deeply knowing God. As one theologian said, reading scripture in the Proverbs is soul-making activity. But before we keep going, let me go back one more time to the phrase, the fear of the Lord. One pastor scholar wrote these words, please listen today. This pursuit to fear God is very difficult to appreciate in our contemporary culture that is addicted to one thing, good feelings. Advertisers learned long ago that the merits of a particular product are not merely or nearly as appealing as the emotions that can be associated with the product. So also, one study of contemporary sermons concludes that most North American preaching works from a similar assumption, stressing themes of love and grace that promote good feelings, and that's fine, but at the expense of themes of rebellion, brokenness, and repentance. Yet the fear of Yahweh is precisely about turning from rebellion to a teachability before God. Good feelings come by embracing all of reality, including our need to submit to an authority greater than us. The life of wisdom is not just good sense or a list of principles that make us have a happy life, true as this may be. It is above all an attitude towards God that influences everything we do. We often shy away now from phrases like the fear of the Lord because we want to say that God is loving. He's like a dad looking down the road for his lost son or like a tender mother nurturing her children, and that's fine. But we're afraid to speak of God's mighty reign and claim in our lives because we think it's going to be alienating. And and here's the key phrase, and it won't be attractive enough. It won't evoke the right emotions for people maybe to even talk to God. The problem is, for us to enjoy the one who loves us, we have to take on the meaning that we have to come to know the one who loves us in the way that he wants to be known. We don't get to say to God, I'll meet you on my terms. We meet him on his terms, and we know that that's okay because he is love. As we'll see, the fear of Yahweh goes in hand in hand with actually knowing him. There's a strong difference between emphasizing, hear this please, the successful living we find in today's motivational literature. And the Bible's emphasis on living a loving and obedient relationship with God. In the first case, uh, all, all of this sort of stuff is honest and, and fair living really is about good business. That increases the likelihood that maybe you'll lead a happy life and a, a prosperous life. The Bible, these, de- these ideas are affirmed, but they are set in the larger scheme of honoring God by attaining the righteous character for which we were created. See, that's it everyone. I mean, that's the that's the heart of Proverbs. It's powerful, it's countercultural, it's deeply relational and it makes so much sense. If you love Jesus, if you really know him. Of course, he's the one who's revealed Yahweh fully to us. If you live like he saved you and if you want his lordship because his burden is light, then you get to become something called wise. Now that would be an interesting place to end, but the writer of Proverbs doesn't. He stops right there, and then he says, "Well, yeah, that's God and goodliness, a godliness and life." And then he says, "But there's something we need to all talk about today. I'd like to talk about foolishness." Now, fool doesn't have much power in our culture. In my generation, it was Mr. T. What did he say? "I pity the fool." Right? Yeah. We ah fool. Ha! Ah, you're a fool. Ha! Ah. Not in this culture. Calling someone a fool in this culture is basically saying go to hell. I damn you. It has that power to it. A fool is someone in scripture that lives like God is not real. God's not in control. They don't place themselves in a posture of living. They actually, here's the key thing everyone, they may believe in God, They may go to church, they may be religious, they may go to small groups, they may read Philip Yancey books, but their life does not reflect a God who's involved. They're Christian, as one said, they're Christian atheists. They may believe in God, but they want to meet Him on their terms. Many of the brightest people we're ever going to meet educationally or or in life are indifferent to God or hostile to God. See, fools don't see the big picture a fool doesn't just stay naive, but they love being a fool. They, they live for sex, or money, or religion, or intellect, or power. They love the now, and they choose to close their minds off from God. And some of them even get to, pointing to, the, they get to the point where they deny his existence, whether intellectually or, or practically. But this is what the Proverbs says. And here, now, the author gives us an example of what a fool begins to look like. Verse 8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. My son... If a sinner entices you, don't give in to them. Don't do it. If they say, come along with us. Let's, let's wait and lie for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and hole. Let, let's take them down to the pit. We'll get all sorts of valuable things and fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We'll share a common purse. My son, don't go along with them. Don't set your foot on their path. For their feet rush into sin. They're swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Murder, lying, stealing, and hanging out with dangerous or bad people that will lead you away from God, his people, and his word, Scripture says, run. Don't do it. Do not give into peer pressure, whether virtually or personally, no matter your age or stage. If you do, you will begin the downward spiral to become something the Bible calls a fool. You want to know what God wants of you once you've met him? Avoid evil associations you cannot handle. Just don't go there. And before lots of us become like the rich ruler this morning and say, well, that's not me. I've got to be wise because I haven't shoplifted or stolen anything and I've paid my taxes and I've never murdered and I hang out with good people. These Crothers people are good people. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? You're familiar with the command of the ancients don't murder, right? I'm telling you that if anyone is so much as angry with a brother or sister, they're guilty of murder carelessly, careless to call a brother idiot. You just may find yourself into court, a, a hauled into court, thoughtlessly yell stupid at your sister. We are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is this. Words, what? Say it loud. Kill. You don't think many of us here steal at Crothers Creek? Every time, any of us talk carelessly without facts. Every time we presume without going to the source, every time we gossip, have envy, jealousy, jealousy, every time we covet, we are stealing, listen, someone's time, their money, their body, their public reputation, even their leadership. Many of us in this church talk quickly, and we don't stop, we don't listen, we don't ask the right person, and this leads to a life of foolishness. The proverb continues like this, wisdom, verse 20, cries aloud from the street. She raises her voice in the public square. Notice how loud this all is, and she's getting drowned out. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out in the gateways of the city. She makes her speech, verse 22. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in the mockery and fools hate knowledge, verse 29. Since they hated knowledge, they chose not to fear the Lord. See, here in chapter 1, we already have seen clearly that all of us, even as Christians, have a choice. There are only two paths there are over 70 times in the Proverbs where the reader is brought to this fork of the road. One way leads eventually to evil. Anger, perversity, being treacherous. You can put up that slide where it shows both ways. You become lazy or a slugger, devious, violent, a life marked by untruth and confusion. The other is founded on relationship with God. It's mutually accountable. It's done in community. It's righteous. It's justice. It's understanding. It's blameless. It's heading towards God. See, we can all see that there's only one way and two choices. Growing in the fear of the Lord over time, or verse 29, not fearing Him. And God says, fine, I'll let you become what you want. Let me end with a few thoughts as we get ready for the summer. When you read Proverbs in its real context, you see the power of it. Here's the first thing we catch. There is a call for humility for every one of us, me included. When when you go before the Proverbs and you go before God, this is what happens. You place yourself before God, and this is what you end up saying if you're really in for the conversation. Okay, God, I'd like to know if I'm a fool. Maybe I'm wise, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm young, but I actually need to know. And you put everything aside it doesn't matter education, background, church membership, how long you've done that, it doesn't matter. What am I? For many of you that are not Christians, this is even more key because humility at the center of our movement is to fear God and to meet Him in a personal way through the work of Jesus Himself. You need to bend your knee and humble yourself and say, I can't even, I can't even save myself. See, there's no salvation, no fearing the Lord in the right way, no relationship without humility. My challenge to myself and to us as a community is this. Are we willing to humble ourselves under the authority of Scripture and under God's voice to really hear, really hear where we're at? At the heart of this is the next point. Proverbs is a call for us to love our neighbors. See, Proverbs is all about how we interact with God, ourselves, and others. Our culture is drowning in its own stuff because there is very little wisdom left. Do you think Vancouver was wise last week? Now lots of people were wise afterwards, but it's funny how the proverb says, don't go down that path with people because you'll get drunk, do real stupid things, end up on Facebook and get arrested. Wisdom is needed, not just more information. The more wise we are, the more we'll love ourselves, God, and others. But at the heart of humility and at the heart of loving a neighbor is this at its heart. Lordship leads to life, everyone. Again, one wrote, this is not a course in self-improvement. So many people read the Proverbs one a day like it's some quote that's just really flowery and nice. The search for life of wisdom finds its beginning and its end in only one place, the fear of God. Every pithy saying, every astute observation, every moral exhortation in the book of Proverbs is meant to lead us to an awe-filled knowledge of God. The instructions from 1 to 9 and all the sayings from 10 to 31 are showing us how to reveal God's glory, and showing us the wisdom that holds our world together. The fitting response for us is awe and worship. Knowledge, apart from worship, is lifeless, sterile, and political. Worship without knowledge can be empty, but worship that is founded on knowledge of God stands a good chance of expressing praise that is reverent, real, and I would add, relevant. So here's my last thought. Uh, and, the, and the bang can come up, actually. There are 74 days till September. Sorry to do that. We're just starting summer. There are 74 days till September. That means that each of us starting today, if we read one proverb a day, could actually read through the book of Proverbs at least twice during the summer. If you're a parent, a grandparent, if you're a good friend to anybody, if you're a father, if you're a mother, an aunt, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a seeker, if you want wisdom... You want to live life right. Submit yourself to the word of God in Proverbs and just honestly ask and see what God does. Wisdom allows us to love God right. Wisdom keeps a family together. Wisdom keeps a church together. Wisdom tells us where generationally or culturally it's okay and it's not. Proverbs is the best book we can read while we're all on Facebook together. So why don't you uh, pray with me that this would become real and we'll prepare to respond. God of heaven and earth, God of all of us gathered here, our community that is sort of on the move at cottages and everywhere else, and also um, many now, hundreds or thousands, that join this church every week we have never even met. Our prayer to you this morning is this. We need wisdom. (laughs) But at the heart of wisdom, we need to fear you. So I, as one fellow person, John Thompson, come to you, God, and ask you to teach me to continue to fear you, to know you, not just to know about you. I pray that you would teach us how to be wise. I pray this for our children, our teens in this church, our young adults, our adults, all of us. And I just want to say to you, Lord, speak. Your servant, your community, we really are listening. We ask that there would be a change in many of our inner lives, our minds, our talks with people, in the hallways, online, offline, but we become a people of wisdom. Thank you, God, that your word is eternal and nothing's a shock to you. And no matter where our culture goes, this will always be relevant because you are the beginning and the end. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who is over this church and all of God's people said. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, carutherscreek.ca.